Very good morning to each and every one of you. We'll continue in the same chapter where we left off on Wednesday. If you could turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I would ask Brother Dean if he could very kindly read for us from verse 23 to 45. 1 Samuel chapter 14 from verse 23 to 45. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Beth-Avon. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. For Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. And all they of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were come into the wood, behold, the honey dropped. But no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand, and dipped it in an honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were enlightened. Then answered one of the people, and said, Thy father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you, how mine eyes have been enlightened, because... I tasted a little of this honey. How much more, if haply the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found? For had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? And they smote the Philistines that day, from Michmash to Ailon, and the people were very faint. And the people flew upon the spoil, and took sheep and oxen and calves, and slew them on the ground. And the people did eat them with the blood." Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord, in that they eat with the blood. And he said, Ye have transgressed. Roll a great stone unto me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people, and say unto them, Bring me hither every man his ox, and every man his sheep, and slay them here, and eat, and sin not against the Lord in eating with the blood. And all the people brought every man his ox with him that night, and slew them there. And Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. And Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night, and spoil them until the morning light, and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Then said the priest, Let us draw near hither unto God. And Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he answered him not that day. And Saul said, Draw ye near hither, all the chief of the people, and know and see wherein this sin hath been this day. For as the Lord liveth which saveth Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people that answered him. Then said he unto all Israel, Be ye on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said unto Saul, do what seemeth good unto thee. Therefore Saul said unto the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lots between me and Jonathan my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in mine hand, and lo, 
I must die. And Saul answered, God do so and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid, as the Lord liveth. There shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, that he died not. Thank you, Dean. In the early part of this chapter, we noticed last Wednesday that uh, Jonathan's initial attack led to a victory against the Philistines. But here we see today that for Saul foolishly issued a, a degree about the eating of food, and this spoiled the victory. Because uh, what happened was that Jonathan was unaware of this decree, and so he ate a little honey. And in verse 27, <coughs> right at the end, the last few words says, And his eyes were enlightened. And his eyes were enlightened. You see, doubtless, these bright eyes were because of the um, inner strength that he got from nourishment when he took honey. Now, you see, twice over in the Word of God, in the Psalms, uh, we see that the Word of God is compared to honey. Uh, in Psalm chapter 19 and uh, verses 8 to 10, we see the, the first instance where this is mentioned. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And then again in Psalm 119, verses uh, 103 and 104, Say, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth, through thy precepts I get understanding. So you see, the word of God is compared to honey, and honey provided enlightenment to Jonathan when he ate it. The scripture says, his eyes were enlightened. You see, in the battles of life, there is a constant need for us, for our eyes to be opened, for us to be in, enlightened. There is a constant need for strength and enlightenment, which only the Word of God provides. You see, the lack of nourishment uh, that uh, came upon Saul's troops gave him a tremendous disadvantage when he instructed them not to take any food. For example, notice in verse 24, it uses the words that they were distressed. Uh, look at verse 28. You will see that it says right there at the end that the people were faint. Look at verse 31, the last few words. The people were very faint. So, because they didn't take the food that was on offer, automatically his army became weakened. They were distressed, they became faint, and they became very faint. 
you see, it was the lack of nourishment that caused these three things to happen to Saul's army. And my brother, my sister, in the same way, if we neglect the word of God, it will sap all our spiritual energy from us. It will render us dull. It will make us careless in the word of God. We need to have a constant supply of the word of God in our life. There is no way that you can come to church on a Sunday, bring your Bible out, and then as you go back home, put it on a shelf, and then take it again the next time you come to church. That is not going to give you the nourishment that you need to fight the daily battles in Christian warfare. The very moment Saul's army stopped taking the food, they were distressed, they were faint, they became very faint. I would encourage you all on a daily basis to make sure that you get adequate quantity of the word of God in your hearts and in your lives. And that will prepare you for the daily battles ahead. That will prepare you for what you need to walk the Christian life. In First John chapter 2 and verse 14, uh, John tells us about young men. And it says there that young men were strong because the word of God was abiding in them. Only because the word of God was in the young men, they remained strong. If you want to be strong to face up to the battles in your daily Christian walk, my brother, my sister, fill your life with the word of God. Next, I want you to notice that in verses 29 and 30, Jonathan distanced himself from his father's behavior. When he heard that his father uh, was the one that issued this decree, he immediately <clears throat> pointed out that what his father did was wrong. You see, he wasn't afraid to point out that the senseless behavior of his father was wrong. Now, by contrast, we all know about the story at the early part of Samuel, where a weak father was unwilling to take a stand against the disgraceful conduct of his two sons. I'm sure you know the story. He was quick to criticize Hannah, but he was lenient on his own family. You see, family connections should never color our judgment. If something is wrong, it is wrong whoever is responsible. All are equal in God's family. And Jonathan, he stood by this principle. So when his father was wrong, he pointed it out. Then I want you to notice next that with the Philistines in full flight, Saul was keen to press home his advantage during the night. And with his reinvigorated footmen all solidly behind him, he pursued the Philistines. But the priest, uh, this is in verse 36, uh, Saul said, let's go down after the Philistines. And then there is a priest right there who is attending to them. And the priest advised caution 
and said, they must consult with heaven. Now, he makes a request from God. Look at verse 37. And Saul asked the counsel of God. But it tells us at the end of the same verse, but he answered him not that day. Saul prayed and asked God, but God did not give him an answer that day. We all face this. The problem of unanswered prayer. Do you know why this is? Well, it is very clearly told to us in Psalm 66 and verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. This is the reason for prayers not being answered. You see, it is very important that when you come before the Lord in prayer, that you have a clean heart, clean hands, then the Lord will hear your prayer. In uh, 1 Timothy 2.8, it tells us that I would that men everywhere uh, pray with holy hands. What does holy hands mean? It means that we have to have clean hands, a clean heart, only if we are clean within us, God will answer our prayers. You see, uh, moral suitability is paramount when it comes to prayer. There is a very good example given in James, chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. And here, James stresses the moral requirement uh, required for those who want to pray effectively. And he talks about Elijah. Uh, if you could turn the slide, please, to James chapter 5 and verse 16. James chapter 5 verse 16 tells us that that it is the prayer of a righteous man Righteous. Only if you are righteous within you, will your prayer have value. It was only when Elijah uh, prayed uh, for the rain to stop, it was only heard because he was a righteous man. So, like Elijah, we must also be righteous. So, my brother, my sister, we do well to ask ourselves, whether we can honestly expect God to respond to our pleas if some unseemly conduct in our life has robbed us of any right to be heard at all. It is very important that when you come to God in prayer, that you come with clean, holy hands, and then your prayers will be answered. Then, Next, I want you to notice in verse 39. The people were reluctant to expose Jonathan as the offender. There was not a man among all the people that answered him. 
Why was this? Why were the people, when Saul asked the question, why were they not willing to expose who the offender was? Jonathan was the one that had eaten. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, it tells us, Love covereth a multitude of sins. And the people of Israel, they were willing to cover up Jonathan's sin because they loved him so much. Later on in the book of 1 Samuel, we see that there is a man called Doeg the Edomite. And he was very quick to incriminate the priests in front of the paranoid king. And he wanted them hanged. But you see, in church life also, there are certain matters that must be uh, brought to the light of day and they must be judged. They must be brought to the notice of the leaders of the church and they must be judged. But there are other things that need no exposure. Let us also be intelligent enough so that we are able to distinguish between what should be told and what should be told not in Gath. So, the people on this occasion were reluctant to expose Jonathan as the offender because they knew deep down in them that he had done no wrong. He had innocently taken the honey. Then next I want you to notice that when casting lots uh, uh, brought Jonathan's sin to light, his unreasonable father was determined to kill him. Notice this in verse 44. Jonathan said, surely you will die, Jonathan. You see, he had to implement this irrational outburst that we can see in verse 39 where he said, even if it's Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die, whoever is caught. Now, my brother, my sister, this is the next point that I would like you to remember this morning. A wise man once said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2, Be not rash with thy mouth. Be not rash with thy mouth. Saul in the heat of the moment, in his anger that someone had dared to defy him, he said, I will kill even if it's my son Jonathan. He just said it like that. And now, when it turned out to be Jonathan, well, he had to promise to implement it. Otherwise, he was going to lose face in front of the people. You see, if you talk without thinking, either by way of threat or by promise, it can box you into a corner and then you will lose face. Always be someone who is measured in their conversation. Always think of whether your conversation is in line with the word of God. Next, I would like us to remember that Jonathan, he had been the hero of the hour earlier in the chapter. We noticed how he had gone and won a battle all on his own with just his armor bearer. And now he was being persecuted from a very unlikely source. His own father was wanting to kill him. 
Happy circumstances are never permanent. Ask David. He won a great battle with Goliath. The next minute he was avoiding Saul's javelin. Wasn't that right? He was trying to spare him. You see, one moment you could be great friends and happy. Next moment, their enemy could be the very friend that was closest to you. You see, be prepared for opposition from unusual sources. It happens all the time. Imagine how Samson, he felt when 3,000 of the men of Judah came down, and in Judges chapter 15 and verse 12, it tells us that they said, we are come down to bind thee. His own tribe, the men of Judah, had come down to bind him. You see, Judah was the big tribe. They were the important tribe. Judah was the royal tribe. And they were finding his opposition to the Philistines intolerable. So they came down and told Samson, we've come down to bind you. Imagine that. His closest, nearest and dearest, they turned against him. Remember, Paul, he felt that it became obvious that some brothers were preaching Christ, but their motivation was that they wanted to add affliction to my bonds, Paul said. Philippians chapter 1, verse 16. The very people who were close to him and preaching with him, he felt that some of them were doing it because they wanted to cause trouble for him, add affliction to his bonds. So my brother and my sister, remember this lesson. Be prepared for opposition from unusual sources. Your nearest and dearest could turn against you. Here, in Jonathan's case, Saul, his very father, was wanting to kill him. Then uh, we notice in verse 45 that the soldiers, they became mutinous and they saved Jonathan's life that day. Not one hair of his head would fall. It tells us in verse 45. When I think of this, I cannot but think about the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember that scripture tells us that cheekfuls of hair fell down about down the ground and there was no one around to rescue him when that happened. But Jonathan, well, he had these men of Israel, these soldiers, they were willing to stand up against Saul and nothing, not one hair was touched. You see, God honors those who take a stand for him. Jonathan took a stand for God and he decided to, one man on his own, to make a crusade, to go against the Philistines, do what was right, even though it was half an acre at a time, even though it was only 20 soldiers, he was going to do something for God. And when the time came, when his life was being threatened, God stood by him. Remember this, my brother, my sister, that if you take a stand for God, you may even face death 
You may even face all kinds of torment from the world outside. But God will never let you down. Verse 45. I'd like you to notice that the people said that the reason why they saved Jonathan. Very important reason. They said he had wrought with God this day. He had wrought with God this day. What does that mean? He had wrought with God. Well, it means that he was doing something for God. He was working for God. Because he was doing something for God, because he was wrought with God, the people rescued him. You see, we all know that God requires no help from us for anything that he purposes. But often in his grace, he chooses to involve us in various uh, tasks for him, in various ministries for him. For example, some of the signs, for example, that we find in John's Gospel, there was human involvement where he used human beings to do a work for him. Servants filled the water pots, human involvement. Disciples organized the seating of the 5,000, human involvement. People, the disciples organized the serving of this 5,000, human involvement. Then others took away the stone from Lazarus's grave, human involvement. Others removed the bounds from his body, human involvement. You see, there are various tasks in God's service that God allows us to participate in. You see, my brother, my sister, I appeal to you, desire to be busy for God, to do things for God. They are to do exploits for God, determined to be committed to God. And one day it will be said by others about you, he was wrought with God, she was wrought with God. He was doing something for God. She was working for God. Others will say that about you. You see, Jonathan didn't have to go and um, get a lawyer to come and speak in front of these men of Israel and tell them what he had been doing for God. He didn't do anything like that. The men of Israel, they saw that here was a man trying his best, working for God, doing something for God. They wouldn't allow one hair of his head to be touched. Isn't that wonderful? If we are found to be working for God in your local church here, there will be numerous tasks your uh, leaders will assign to you if you ask. There are so many tasks in God's kingdom. Busy yourself doing these tasks, serving the church, serving God. No need to tell anybody, no need any publicity. And one day, people will say about you, he was wrought with God. She was wrought with God. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, uh, I would like to go on to the, the next part after this where we find Jonathan is in 1 Samuel chapter 18. The first eight verses. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
And Saul took him that day, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, and gave it to David, and his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. And David went out, whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Thank you. Now we just saw in, the, in chapter 14 that <clears throat> in the battles of life there is a constant need for enlightenment. That's why <clears throat> when Jonathan ate the honey, his eyes were enlightened. We need to fill ourselves with the word of God. And then we saw that family connections should never color our judgment. Jonathan lived by that. Then we saw the problem of unanswered prayer. How we need to, if we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. Then we saw that uh, the people were reluctant to expose Jonathan's as the offender because love covereth a multitude of sins. But in church life, there are certain sins that have to be exposed and judged. And then we also saw that we should not be rash with our mouth. How uh, Saul went ahead and made rash promises. Then he was forced to follow up to kill his son. And then we saw that we must be prepared for trouble from unusual sources. And then we saw that Jonathan was wrought with God. How wonderful if others say that about us as well. Now, we come during chapters 15, 16, and 17, we see hardly any mention of Jonathan. But the next mention of Jonathan is here in chapter 18. And as I was looking at scripture, I saw why Jonathan was not, uh, hadn't done anything in these chapters, because these are the chapters where David comes into the picture. And in chapter 17, David wins that great battle with Goliath. So I got thinking that when Goliath was calling down for the people to come and challenge him, you know, who can take me on? Why was Jonathan not going to challenge Goliath? Because here was a man who on his own went out just with his armor bearer and he was taking on Philistines. He was killing people. He was capturing ground. A man that was so daring and brave for God. Why was it that when Goliath was challenging in chapter 17, he was silent. He did nothing. And he allowed it for the shepherd boy to come down and challenge Goliath. You see, my brother, my sister, it's rather sad that 
this happened. You see, his previous experience of God's power and help did not give him the nerve to face Goliath of Gath. You see, here's the lesson. How often we are told that past experience will not suffice for present circumstances. That means in the Christian walk, whatever has happened to you in the past doesn't count for today. You may have been a member of your church for 10, 20, 30 years. You may say, I've been a Christian for so long. But every day it's a new challenge because Satan is at work every day trying to trip us up. So we need to be every day waking up in the morning as though we are a new Christian. We need to be ready to face the challenges that the day throws to us. We need to have the word of God in us. We cannot say, I have been a Christian for 20 years. I am full of experience. Nothing's going to happen to me. Jonathan had been there, done it before. But the new challenge came and he wasn't to be found. This time, Jonathan seemed to have no heart for the fray. He did not respond to the challenge of the Philistine champion. Perhaps, this is the reasons that I could come up with, perhaps he had been discouraged by the persistent failures of his father, perhaps his ultimate rejection, perhaps his father's violent mood swings had discouraged him. Uh, But at any rate, when the challenge was issued, he did not take part. He was just a spectator when David came down. But I do want you to notice one or two things here from chapter 18. Despite Jonathan's inactivity, there was a deep appreciation of David's achievements. Uh, In verse 1, it says that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Here's the lesson. It takes a big man to endorse warmly the deeds of one who has succeeded where he failed. You see, others may go ahead of you and be doing greater service for God. You could have been doing that very same thing, but you didn't do it. But be supportive of them. Help them, encourage them in their service for God. You see, in verse 1, there is a very specific word that is used there. It says, knit. Uh, The soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Now, the same Hebrew word is used in Genesis chapter 44 and verse 30. And it's the word that Judah used to describe the relationship between Jacob and Benjamin. And the word is bound, bound up. His life is bound up in the lad's life. You see, the language used conveys to us the deep emotions that were stirred in Jonathan's heart. He was knit with David. He was bound up with David. Absolutely no jealousy at all. You see, two things would have impressed uh, him about David. When he gazed at David and saw him holding Goliath's head in his hand, we would have, he would have immediately known, firstly, that here is someone courageous, more courageous than me. 
And then he had risked his life for Jonathan. He had risked his life for the children of Israel and taken on Goliath. And then when he listened to David talk, he would have noticed David's humility. Look at the previous verse. Verse 58, chapter 17. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. There was no great um, uh, flourish about his words. He was claiming to be the son of a servant. Humility. Even after this great thing, he has no talk about, you know, when I was walking up there, I saw Goliath and I thought if I attack him this way, I could get him. Absolutely nothing of that sort. He was talking in humble terms. You see, my brother, my sister, uh, because David exhibited this humility, this courage, Jonathan loved him. You see, you may ask, what is the lesson that we can learn from this? You see, the application is very obvious. David came down from a mountain to save Jonathan and the Israelites. The Lord Jesus, he came down from heaven to save us. You see, the glory of Jonathan, of David, impressed Jonathan. And in the same way, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us should impress us. The triumph of Calvary, it demands a response from us. You see, what, Jonathan, what David did got a response from Jonathan. He was knit with him. He was bound up with him. The same way, do we also have the same appreciation of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on that cross at Calvary? After all, what the Lord Jesus did was far more than David did. Because David came and he won a battle against a man and he rescued Jonathan and the Israelites. The Lord Jesus came down and he suffered for us. How do we know that he suffered? Well, he was human just like we are. I remember that it is said that uh, being weary with the journey, he sat down by the well, meaning he was tired just like we are tired. I remember that he was uh, asleep in the boat. I remember that he was hungry in the wilderness. I remember that he cried at someone else's funeral. His body, his human body, was just like we are. He felt all these emotions, tiredness, hunger, uh, weariness, crying. So all that pain and suffering that was inflicted upon his body, he would have felt it. On our behalf. And so my brother and my sister. When we see that the Lord Jesus came down. And he rescued us. Are we also like Jonathan. Moved in our heart. Is our heart bound up with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is our heart knit with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And the final point for this morning is that. In the wake of David's triumph. Saul laid claim to him. We can see that in verse 2. Saul took him home that day. And in verse 5, you will notice that Saul promoted him. But what was Saul's intention? Saul's intention was to use David for his maximum advantage. David was popular. His popularity will bear off on me. 
But by contrast, Jonathan, what was his response to David? Well, in verse 3 and 4, you can see that Jonathan, David made a commandment. He loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, gave it to David and his garments, even his sword and his bow and his girdle. You see, Jonathan was willing, taking off the robe and putting it on him. What does that mean? He was willing to relinquish every claim to the throne because of David, in favor of David. You see, my brother, my sister, I will leave you this morning with this challenge. Do you see in the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you see in him? Do you see him as a benefactor like Saul saw David? Or do you see him like Jonathan as your master and savior? You see, Saul was only in it for what he could get out of David. Are you looking at the Lord Jesus Christ as a benefactor also? If I come to church, if I am pious and a good Christian, he will be good to me, I may get benefits from heaven. Is that how you look at the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you look at him just like Jonathan looked at David? He saw him as the one who came down and with all his courage and humility, yet he came down and rescued Jonathan and the children of Israel. You see, my brother, my sister, I would like us to remember the Lord this morning this way, that he is the Savior who rescued us from going down to hell. We should see him as the shepherd who preserved our life from disaster. We should see him as our sovereign, worthy of our allegiance. He should be the object of our devotion and appreciation this morning. Just like Jonathan appreciated David so much, he was willing to relinquish it all in his favor. Let us relinquish all the pleasures of this world has to offer and let us pledge all our adoration, our worship, our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for these words uh, from Scripture, our Father, that we've been able to go through this morning. We thank Thee, our Father, for the challenge that the life of Jonathan brings to us. And we thank Thee for these practical applications, our Father, which we pray that each and every one of us, both speaker and hearer alike, will be able to apply to our lives, that we would fill our lives with the Word of God, that we would uh, gain greater appreciation of Thy Son and what He has done for us. We can never repay that debt that He has paid for us, our Father. Uh, part us now with Thy blessings. We ask this in the altogether lovely name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.